Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts share valuable insights, answer questions, and tell some real world stories that'll get you thinking about how you can tweak your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. I'm your host, Bill Widener, and the webinar to podcast trend continues. This episode is the podcast version of a live virtual discussion recorded on Tuesday, April 12th with Margie Russell, Executive Director of the New York Association of Realty Managers, NIARM, and for the second time, our guest professional engineer, Mark Carell. You may recall two episodes ago, Margie Mark and I discussed Local Law 87 Energy Audits and Retro Commissioning and touched on Local Law 84 Benchmarking. Today, we close the loop on the building emissions laws with a discussion of New York City Local Law 97, which will be enforced starting 2024. My hope is that after you listen to this episode, you'll share it with everyone you know who owns or plans on owning New York City buildings or resides in a New York City condo or co-op that, based on size, is subject to Local Law 97. And by the way, when the episode sounds like it's over, it's not. Earlier this week, Mark and I got on a call to append the episode with additional information that surfaced after the original recording. There are links in the show notes to everything you need, including the contact information from Margie, Mark, and I. The audio from the event is edited to fit the podcast format. And without further ado, here we go. It's showtime. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Margie Russell, the Executive Director of NIARM, the New York Association of Realty Managers. NIARM has been around for 64 years. It was born of the Mitchell-Lama program when buildings first came online that were thousands and thousands of apartments in their complex. Prior to that, the majority of the people who managed buildings were the extended family of the families that owned those apartment buildings. So here we had a multitude of people who were now managing apartment buildings larger than you know we've ever seen. And so a group of property managers of Mitchell-Lama buildings 64 years ago, came together and created the New York Association of Realty Managers to serve the continuing education needs and the professional needs of that group. Since then, they've expanded to apartment buildings, multifamily buildings, and mixed-use buildings. I've been the executive director for the last 20 years. Prior to that, for 20 years, I I managed and opened new condominiums in Manhattan, uh, converting cooperative buildings in Manhattan. I also created the majority of the property managers coursework at 32BJ, which I encourage everybody to get anyone that they know that is in 32BJ onto their program. Today, we have Mark Perel, special engineer. Bill Widener is going to introduce Bill for yours. Thank you, Margie. Mark, great to have you here today. This is the second time we've done this. Last time was Local Law 87 with a little bit 84. But today we're going to be talking about Local Law 97. And we're at a point in time where this should no longer be ignored. And you're here to tell us why. So get us started on that. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, Margie, for hosting this Zoom meeting and podcast. You're right. Local Law 97 is going to have great impacts on a lot of building owners, property managers in New York City. There's no question about it. The city has passed a number of laws over the last decade concerning energy management, energy conservation, efficiency, things like that. And one of the criticisms of some of the earlier laws was the penalties weren't that great. And so a lot of people either ignored it for the last until the last minute or in some cases even disregarded it and took the fine. But the city has 
quote unquote learned its lessons, and now they for this local law ninety seven there are very very strict penalties, very high penalties, fines will be very very high, and this is not the kind of thing where you just fill out a form and everything will be okay, or you make a little change here or there, you could be trapped into a big fine. So with that, Bill, I've got some slides to give some background. Would you like me to show them now, or you have some questions you want to ask first? Yeah, well, I think that's a good idea maybe to put up the first slide. But one of the things that I, I want to ask you about is, you know, we had 84, which is the benchmarking. We had 87, which was the audits and the retro commissioning. And so I would assume you're going to tie in how 97 really differs from that and also tails onto it. Absolutely. Local on 97 is different from 84 and 87 because it is technically not an energy law, but it's a greenhouse gas emission law. It was passed to encourage energy efficiency and clean energy, use of clean energy, as 84 and 87 were. It doesn't go into effect until 2024, but again, I emphasize, don't wait until next year to begin to think about this. You need to start now, and when I mean now, I mean really, really soon. Uh, not even a few months from now, but literally in the next days or a couple of weeks or whatever. It affects all buildings, virtually all buildings in New York City, go to 25,000 square feet in size or bigger. There's a couple of exceptions. Certain public housing is exempt from Local Law 97, and religious institutions are exempt. But be very careful with that. A church that owns a warehouse that stores stuff that's given to people is not exempt from the rule, is subject to the rule. A synagogue that has a school, a yeshiva, something like that, is not exempt from the rule, is subject to the rule. The church itself, the synagogue itself, the mosque itself, etc., are exempt from the rule. But other property owned by the religious institute that's not in religious use is affected by Local Law 97. Virtually every other building, 25,000 square feet or bigger, is subject to it. I have a question on that, Mark. I believe there are also uh, exceptions with regard to buildings that have regulated apartments in them, residential buildings that have regulated apartments in them. Correct. There are certain ones that have certain uh, rent regulations. I don't have uh, on the tip of my tongue exactly what they are. Uh, anybody has any specific questions, I could certainly provide that information. I guess to be proactive, you shouldn't just assume that you are or are not exempt from this and therefore ask ask yep. somebody who knows. Right. And that would be the first step. Do I need to do this? Do I need to be worried about it? Uh, or do I not need to do this? And then well, you can go from there. Absolutely right. The first thing you might ask yourself is greenhouse gases, GHGs? What, what the heck is a greenhouse gas? I've never heard about this before. And do my buildings emit greenhouse gases? Well, greenhouse gases is a the fancy way of saying carbon. You've probably heard in the news a lot about carbon emissions. That's really what GHG emissions are, carbon emissions. And carbon emissions are tied to energy use. So, for instance, when you're burning natural gas in your boiler, in your building, that burning of the natural gas, combusting of natural gas, releases carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas, a GHG. Same thing with fuel oil. If you purchase steam from Con Edison, it means a Con Edison plant somewhere burns some fuel to make that steam for you and releases greenhouse gases. And the same thing with electricity. Electricity doesn't release greenhouse gases, but you've caused some power plants somewhere to release some. So it's not just the usage that you have on site. It's the usage that you have that is being generated somewhere else. 
Right. Well, it is actually the usage on site. It is your uses of electricity, right? Your elevators for your lights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, any steam you purchase, but the actual emissions may have occurred elsewhere, not in your building itself. But you're still responsible for it because you have that demand for electricity. All right. So electricity, electricity is um, calculated in what kilowatt hours? Kilowatt hours, correct. Kilowatt hours. All right. right. So, so if someone uses a certain amount of kilowatt hours, then there's going to be a correlation between that and how much greenhouse gas was produced to create those kilowatt hours. Correct. Hundred percent correct. In fact. Local 197 has the conversion factors. For every kilowatt hour, you are producing X number of what they call kilograms of CO2 equivalents, which is their fancy way of saying greenhouse gases. You told me once before that for some reason in New York, producing electricity produces less greenhouse gas than the production of electricity in other locations. Is, is that correct? That's correct. And that's actually a benefit of being in New York City. The federal government has put out these conversion factors of electricity, kilowatt hours to amount of greenhouse gases by region of the country. And they have the New York City metropolitan area, uh, actually the New York part of the New York City metropolitan area as one uh, region. And it happens to have a relatively low conversion factor. It produces less greenhouse gases than you would in Kentucky or Ohio or West Virginia or Pennsylvania, where they burn a lot of coal. Coal happens to be very high in emitting greenhouse gases for the kilowatt hours that, that coal produces. New York has no coal in their portfolio, for example, so it's low. So if a building, for instance, had, it was, let's say it was a residential building and it had electric stoves instead of gas stoves, they might have a lower greenhouse gas emission than a building that is using gas for the stoves. Correct. Moving on from this, so what Local Law 97 require, will require building owners to do is on an annual basis, starting in 2024, do a calculation of greenhouse gas emissions per square foot of space for the entire year, again, starting in 2024, using the actual usages of those four energy sources, electricity, natural gas, oil, and purchased steam, converted to greenhouse gases. You take your annual usage of all four, and this is total usage. This is tenants as well as common area. This is cooking gas as well as the gas, natural gas you're using in your boiler. Total together, converted to greenhouse gases, divide by square footage, and you have a factor, and it has to meet a certain level. So in 2025, early in 2025, you're going to have to prepare and submit a report for the previous calendar year, 2024. In 2026, you'll have to do it for 2025, etc. Local Law 97 has greenhouse gas emission limits for 10 different building categories. Multifamily homes, for example, is one. And again, they're expressed, these limits are expressed in greenhouse gas emissions per square foot. If you exceed that limit, then you're going to have to pay a fine based on how much you exceed that limit for the year, and the fine can be very, very high. I have a question now about that. GHG, that's the factor? No, that's the emissions. It's greenhouse. Oh, that's gas. the emissions. That's okay. The carbon emissions. Right. So the G, and what does GHG stand for? Greenhouse gas. Greenhouse gas. Okay. So the green, so the GHG greenhouse gas emissions per square foot, and that's the factor. And then it's that factor that you're going to be 
comparing to what's being published by the location that you're in. Right. So you develop the actual greenhouse gas emissions of the building in a given year per square foot, and you compare it to a limit that's in local law 97, greenhouse gas emissions per square foot that you're allowed. And if you meet it or you're under it, that's good. You comply. If you exceed it, then you're in violation and you have to pay a fine. Can that change every year, the, yeah. this, this comparison that you're going to be doing based yeah. on certain things? Oh, yeah. Your usage will change from year to year based on certain factors and how your equipment, your tenants usage, the weather will have an effect. If it's a hotter summer, colder winter, you may have to burn more fuel to reduce heat or have more air conditioning to cool. So, yes, it's going to change from year to year. The limit will stay the same. So the limit will stay the same. Right. Right. Your usage will naturally change from year to year. How's that limit first being calculated? That's not going to change ever after that. Right, right. So th- these are limits that the city came up with for these 10 different building categories. Oh, uh, and those limits already exist. They already exist. You could look at your current usage and you could compare it to the limits which have already been established. Right. And right. you could get an idea of where you're going to be when this actually becomes a finable offense. Correct. And that's really what I encourage people to do now Take a recent year of total energy usage, say 2021 or before that, 2020, whatever you have available, total electricity, again, aggregate tenant as well as common area, total gas, cooking as well as boiler usage, any purchased steam, any oil usage. Take those four numbers of total for the year, multiply it by the factor, determine the greenhouse gas emissions, divide by square footage, and compare it to the limit. All right. So you mentioned that tenage usage also. So let's say somebody's in a building that's separately metered for electric, separately metered for gas, for the stove. How is the owner going to get that information? It is available from Con Edison. What they do is they will give out what's called aggregated tenant usage. They'll give you the one number for all of the tenants. So they will not tell you 1A uses this and 1B uses that, but they'll tell you all the tenants in aggregate use this amount of kilowatt hours. If you end up being over, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's tenant usage, what can you do to control that or have an impact on that? It's very difficult. I mean, that's where you need to have discussions with the tenants. It may well end up leases are going to have to be changed and modified to account for that. So when you say that, what do you mean? Well, uh, there's already going on more in the commercial end landlords going to tenants and saying, look, we think you're a high user of energy and therefore you may cause a fine, me to pay a fine for your usage. So if I have to pay a fine, you're going to have to pay a a surcharge of X, something like that. I know of negotiations that are going on. I don't know how many such leases are going on. Uh, I think another thing too, again, more on the commercial end is that landlords will be a little more choosy on which tenants uh, they rent to that uh, a tenant that's going to be using their office 24-7, maybe has a lot of computers, may not be favored as much as the, the friendly little family accountant or insurance company or broker or whatever uh, that just more or less works nine to five. Yeah. And from the residential side as well. On the residential side, you got to be concerned with fair housing laws. So you can't say, I don't want to rent to this family because they're a big family with a lot of children that are going to be using a lot of electricity or gas for heat and or cooking uh, and air conditioning. 
because then they might be violating fair housing laws. So a, a lot of different moving parts going to come into this. That's right. It's going to get very complicated, no doubt. Yeah. Okay, so again, the most important thing about Local 197 is that there will be major penalties, sky high, no, no kidding. I already come across buildings that, on th- in theory, could face six-figure fines. And this is annually. This is not just one time. This will be annual six-figure fines if they keep their energy usage the way it is. And avoiding a fine might require major changes to the building. Not something you could do in a month or two, but may take a couple of years. So that's why I implore people, don't wait. Address this issue now. See if you, what your potential fine will be. I mean, maybe you'll be in compliance. And in fact, most buildings probably will be in compliance with the 2024 limits. But if you're not, you need to know early on and do the right things and take your time and make sure they're in place by 2024. And then also important to understand that we just talked about it, you, the building owner, are responsible for your tenant's energy usage, even if they're submetered, even if they pay their own bills. You will have to pay a fine for their wasteful usage. So it's something that you need to be aware of. This is not just your the things that you're responsible for, common areas, whatever, but also tenant usage. This is looking at total energy here. So what about buildings that are on the cusp of 25,000 square feet? How are they calculating this 25,000 square feet? Has there been any data on that? What they define as 25,000 square feet is what is in the Department of Finance records. In in there as 25,000 square feet in the Department of Finance records, then you are 25,000. If you have a case of saying, gee, I'm not, uh, I'm under, and here's the reason, you could probably get your... Uh, that number changed and, and then become uh, declassified for Local 197. Right. So if I look up uh, a building in the Department of Finance, which I often do, it tells me what the square footage is. And that's the square footage that they're going to be going by. Right. By their records. Right. Right. So I the- had, I, I had a, um, a building owner approach me for Local Law 87 a bunch of years ago. That was 50, just over the 50,000 square foot uh, threshold for Local 87. But they said a certain portion of one floor is not used, is uh, undergoing or, or will undergo some kind of construction. It's It's been unused for like years. Can't I subtract that and be under 50,000 square feet? I contacted the city on that and they came back and said, no, as long as it's there, even if it's not being used, it still counts. It's still in the financial records. They still pay taxes on it or whatever. So, no, you can't uh, get out of, in that case, Local 87 because of that. So I just want to clarify some things with uh, 84, which was the benchmarking. And I believe that's the one that creates the letter grade. Is that correct? Right. And then 87, which we talked at length in our last episode together. What is being used from that to work around Local Law 97? Does any of that benchmarking have to do with this energy use or the limits that apply? Uh, Does the letter grade have anything to do with it? And how does Local Law 87, which is the audit and the retro commissioning, how is the audit and retro commissioning play into this? Uh, They're really independent laws, but there is some relationship. Uh, If you have a letter grade of A or B, you probably will comply with the 2024 limits, but don't count on it. You know, double check anyway. And if you get a D, if you have a letter grade of a D, then you should worry that there is a, you might still pass the 2024 rule. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. 
uh, shortly, I'm going to give some examples. I'm going to give an example of one that is a D, but happens to pass on local law 97. It's an indicator, but it's not a perfect indicator. So you could have a low grade from local 84 and still pass uh, local 97, or you could have a high grade and not pass. It's possible. But in most cases, it, it does correlate. Local law 97 stands alone. Correct. Like all these other things had to be done, but local law 97 stands alone. That's right. And for local law 87, as you mentioned, it, it contains an, a professional energy audit, which means it has solutions. If you are, are not in compliance with local law 97, you have to find ways to reduce your energy usage to be more energy efficient. It's right there in the report. Like we said a couple of weeks ago when we did the uh, podcast for Local Law 87, what did we both say, uh, Bill? Read the Dawn Report, right? Right. That's probably the most important lesson from Local Law 87. Once you've complied and had the report prepared, read the darn thing and do some things there. So you had said that you had many, many examples where building owners would take the report and they'd put it aside in the pile to be read. Sometimes yeah. the pile that goes into the shredder <laughs> and and not read it because they felt like, OK, I did what I had to do. You know, now I'm going to move on to, you know, what I what my business is and what I really want to focus on. But sure. what you're saying is that if they took that report and they read it, they would find out there are solutions that will help them avoid fines in the future. If you were going to get a fifty thousand dollar fine. But it was going to cost you $50,000 to retrofit something in order to avoid that fine, then it would be worth it for you to do that because you'd be avoiding that $50,000 fine. Remember, the fine is $50,000 per year, or it could be higher the next year, you know, depending on your usage, or a little lower, or whatever. So it's not just $50,000, it's $50,000 per year. And then wow. remember, too, that any time you improve energy efficiency, use less energy, that means you're paying Con Edison or National Grid less. So you're saving there, too. Those actions, your bills are going to be lower. And some of those improvements might have had a payback period that's short. That's right. Absolutely. Right. So here is how it works. The building collects your total energy usage. And again, that's tenants and common areas. 12 months, that calendar year of Con Edison electricity data, natural gas data, steam purchases, and all oil invoices. You take those four numbers of those total kilowatt hours for electricity, therms for gas, et cetera, et cetera, multiplied by the appropriate factor that's in the law to convert them to greenhouse gases. Now you've got greenhouse gas emissions due to electricity, due to gas, et cetera, et cetera. You add them up, divided by the uh, total size of the building, and now you've got a emissions of greenhouse gas emissions per square foot, and you compare it to your limit of your kind of building. Mark, I have a question. Absolutely. Now, going back to when you said that it's the, the entire use, you know, all the, all the residents, they're collecting the electric bills of every apartment? Again, a owner has the right to get what's called the aggregate tenant usage. Of, in other words, they will not tell you, oh, 1A used this many kilowatt hours and 1B used that and 1C used this, but you'll get one number that accounts for all of the tenants. And, and so that fine. makes it virtually impossible without having inspections of the apartments to rectify that. That's correct. Unless somebody stands by the submeter, you know, if it's submeter and stands by the submeters and, and watches the dial move or records it moving or something like that. Well, yeah, well, submetering is, is easier because the building has access to the usage. 
many commercial buildings, the units are inspected for for the usage, and then they have a formula and bill back the commercial tenants for the for the electric use. That industry, those those inspectors that that calculate, you know, the, the usage for every commercial unit. That's what's going to have to happen with the apartments. That's right. It's really going to be very difficult to to tell which tenant might be more guilty than other tenants and encourage good behavior, incentivize good behavior. Yes. I mean, in most cases, the meters, both gas and electric, are going to be in a common area in the basement. So the property manager or the owner of the building could theoretically record each meter on a specific day and then go back 30 days later and record it or two months or whatever it is and see who's using the most electric and who's using the most gas. It's not something that is protected because it's in the common area and they could do that, right? That's correct. Mark, these limits that have been established for the amount of greenhouse gas emissions somebody can have how were those calculated, or is that getting too much into the weeds? I, I don't know how, how they were calculated. The city obviously made decisions. Uh, in fact, one of my examples I'm going to talk about, it that it might even be a little bit ar- arbitrary or a little, almost political in one respect, but they did come up with different limits for different types of buildings. Again, there's 10 different categories, 10 different limits. Why one has a higher allowance for greenhouse gas emissions per square foot than another, I don't know. I'm sure there was some thinking behind it. I I don't know what that thinking was. I'm going to give you three examples that are assessments I've done recently on buildings. This is a multifamily building in Riverdale, beautiful building, overlooks the Hudson River. They supplied me with 2018 actual data of electricity, and this is total electricity, both common area and aggregate residence. It's actually a condo. They don't purchase steam. They don't purchase number two fuel oil, and there's natural gas. Again, both cooking total cooking and for the boiler. So those are the numbers. Taking their conversion factor, the total for 2018 is 1,743,000 kilograms of CO2 equivalents. Divide that by the square footage, which 275,000 square foot building comes to 6.33 kilograms CO2e per square foot in the year 2018 for multifamily buildings. The limit, it's 6.75 kilograms per square foot. The limit is 6.75. They came in at 6.33. Hooray, they're in compliance. They don't have to do anything. If they keep the same emissions in 2018, in 2024, they will be in compliance with Local 197. So what happens if 2018 was a mild winter? Ah, And and 2024 is a severe winter in terms of temperatures. I mean, think about what we just experienced in December and January. It was much colder than it typically is. Right. So once again, the actual emissions was 6.33. And by the way, the standard is 6.75. They came in at 94% of the limit. In the next year, 2019, they were at 90% of the limit. So again, I told them, don't do high fives. Don't do, you know, don't celebrate too much. Because what if, if you see the sub bullet, what if 2024 has a very hot summer or a very cold winter. The city will not accept as an excuse, well, what did you want me to do, not supply heat? It was a cold winter. I had to get more heat. Uh, So give me a break on Local Law 97. This has been asked of the city, and they said, nope, the limits are the limits. No matter how cold the winter is or hot the summer is or whatever, you have to make it. Also, between 2018, 2019, going to 2024, what if the residential energy usage changes? 
new residents move in, they use things different, or even the existing residents buy more doodads that use energy or something like that, or want to be cooler in the summer or, or whatever. And the equipment is older now. The equipment's six years older in 2024 than 2018. So I tell people you should have a buffer. You shouldn't just be a couple of percent below the limit, even 10%. I recommend being 20% below, below the limit if possible, if, if reasonably possible, just to withstand little things like aging of equipment, particularly hot summers, cold winters. Uh, you don't have to, but but again, I think it's in their best interest to be have a nice buffer below what the actual standard is. So it turns out for this building, I did an energy audit and came up with five ways uh, to save energy that are fairly minor, uh, relatively minor, easy to do, relatively easy to do, not great savings, but something. And so I, hopefully that will they're looking into putting installing them, and hopefully that will raise that buffer. But now there's another thing with local energy seven that I haven't mentioned yet. That's important, and that is this standard that you see here for 2024, 6.75 kilograms per square foot is going to go down drastically, will be much more stringent in the year 2030, much, much lower, so that the 6.33 will cause a fine, will cause an exceedance. So it turns out their biggest area where they could save energy is their windows. Uh, they have a lot of window space. Like I said, it overlooks the Hudson. There are many uh, floor-to-ceiling windows in this uh, building. They have the original windows from the 1960s. The building was built in the 1960s. So they are, whatever, well over 50 years old. Single uh, pane windows, needing caulking, just old. Residents told me stories about how on a winter day they touch the inside of the window and it's freezing. So uh, they're looking into doing a window upgrade of the entire building to go to modern double pane top of the line windows. Uh, but uh, because they're looking ahead to that 2030 standards, which is going to be more stringent. The good news is because they're looking at it now and they are taking steps now, they can take their time, reasonable amount of time because they're aiming for 2030. In fact, they were actually initially going to go ahead with it this year, but now because of all the issues with supply chain and, and the cost of, of windows has, has actually skyrocketed a bit, they're holding it back a year, but they're definitely not dropping out of it. They have the luxury because they're looking ahead to 2030 that they're probably okay for 2024, that they will put it in, but it might be another year or two before they do that. Very smart thinking. They're going to do a few things to hopefully build up the buffer a little bit and do a bigger thing to prepare for 2030. Quick little break here, Realty Speak fans, to take a moment to share with you that I love that you choose to listen and learn from Realty Speak. And now, with that in mind, I'd like to highlight three past episodes that are very valuable to you, especially if you are thinking of selling your investment real estate. When you sell, you will most probably have a capital gain. And unless you properly plan in advance, you could trigger a federal, state, and local tax on that gain that will significantly impact the proceeds from the sale. The episodes are 5, 18, and 37. And I added a link in the show notes of this episode so they are easy to find. My mission, be the best real estate advisor, consultant, and broker I can be while helping you sell, purchase, and finance investment real estate. I'm just a phone call away, 917-232-8529. What else can I say? Solutions in real estate, it's in my DNA. And now back to the show. Talked about the goal of being maybe 80% of the limit, which now, like you said, is 6.75 kilograms, and it could actually, it will actually go lower 
as time goes on. So that's why you probably want to be at 80% now so that you're, if you're at 90% now, then you might be at 105% three or four years from now. Is there any data that the city has that says what percentage of the buildings they feel are going to be below the limit? That's number one. And then my second part of that question is, is there any breakdown with regard to the type of building? So warehouse, office building, residential, mixed use, and so on. Local Law 97 was promulgated in 2019. They did the research in 2017 and 2018 to come up with limits and standards. And their belief when they put this together was that for 2024, only the worst 20% of buildings in New York City would have to do significant upgrades. That 80% of buildings across the board would either comply directly without making changes or may have to make some minor modifications. That was their thinking. That's based on actual 2016, 2017 usage that they believed, again, 80% would make 2024, but probably about 80% would not meet the 2030 standards. But in their minds, they had over a decade to address it, to prepare for that. So that was the thinking. I don't know the breakdown in terms of multifamily versus commercial buildings and all that. So in that 20% that they didn't think are going to be able to meet the limit, we really don't know how much of that 20% is this type of building or that type. You're right. And and also, I think they were wrong, you know, uh, because obviously what you use in 2016, 2017 will change till 2024 or systems get older and not as efficient and, and things like that. So uh, I do think that uh, although I'm sure uh, the, the intentions were good, I, I think there's probably some flaws and it's going to be more than 20 percent. We're going to have to do significant uh, actions before 2024. I, I won't say it's 50 or 60 or 80 percent, but but I think it's going to be more than 20 percent in, in my uh, my view. I have two more examples, right? And then a couple more things after that. So here's a an assessment I did for a 163,000 square foot midtown office building. Their actual greenhouse gas emissions in 2019 led to an emission rate of 9.63 kilograms per square foot. The standard for office buildings is 8.46 kilograms per square foot. If you remember, for multifamilies, it's a tougher standard, 6.75. For office buildings, it's 8.46. Why the city chose this, I don't know. I don't know the reason why they chose 8.46 for office buildings and 6.75 for multifamily and, and the other ones, but that's what it is. So if you see here, if their usage stays the same in 2019 going to 2024, they would be in violation of local 87, and their fine would be 51000 and change per year. Again, assuming, again, the same energy usage. So we did an energy audit. We came up with a few ways for them to reduce their energy usage. So one of them, for instance, is in 2019, about half of the building used LED lights, the more efficient lights, and half of them used the old traditional, less efficient fluorescent light tubes. And that was broken down a common area, some conversion to LED, but some stayed the same, and some tenants converted to LED, some did not. What the landlord did was they entered into a cost share with their tenants, with the tenants that didn't do it. They said, let's convert every light in the building to LEDs, get a nice volume discount, but the tenant has to pay some of it, their share, because they're going to be saving on their electric bill. They do have sub-metering. Everybody pays their own electric bill. So I said, we'll facilitate it. We'll do the, you know, bring in the contractor and do the installation. 
and use the volume discount, but the tenant should pay something for it. It's not fair for us to pay all the costs. So it would end up being a good benefit. The tenants got a nice deal, very cheap LED lights, had that significant uh, savings in their condo bill, and then it helped bring down for the uh, building the greenhouse gas emissions and their usage, and that was done last year. They're going to replace their cooling towers, although that's gotten delayed because of the supply chain issues. And the other one is repaired steam traps. They're now in the process of inspecting and repairing and replacing many steam traps. That's going to have a good, a very good impact. So I believe if they do all three, if they continue to do all three, they will get to below 8.46 by 2024. So they're definitely on the ball about these three things. They're working towards them and hopefully everything will be in place. And that's why I said again earlier, a couple of times, it's important to address this now. Don't wait, because these things take time. Even things like uh, assessing and replacing steam traps, cooling tap, whatever. These things take many, many months, if not a year or two. Even the LED lights obviously took time as well. So that's why it's important to start now, because you don't want to wait till you're into 2023, and now all of a sudden you've got to do these things before 2024. Uh, it could be a real mess. You need to start now. So the interesting thing about this is – you had 8.46 kilograms is the limit for office buildings. And the limit was lower for residential buildings. Right. And they kind of came up with all this before the pandemic. That's right. And so now you have all these people working from home. So there's more energy usage in a residential building. And you have office buildings that still have large vacancy rates. And there's less energy being used in those buildings. So my question would be, and I don't know if you have any information on this, is there a possibility where they'll adjust these limits based on the way occupancy operates now as opposed to the way it operated when they actually came up with these original numbers? The answer is possibly. In Local Law 97, there's actually a mention that the city has a commission to look at law, Local Law 97 as it gets closer to the deadline and has the right to recommend changes. And so that might be among the changes what these limits are. They may change the limits because of reality. There's other areas, too, where they may make changes. One of the other things that might change and for the better of everybody is the emission factors, converting kilowatt hours of electricity to greenhouse gases, because since the law was promulgated, New York's electricity has gotten cleaner. There's more renewable power, less oil and, and gas-fired uh, power plants. So that number actually may come down. It may benefit everybody. So that's being worked on now. There's a commission meeting. I think they're going to have these findings later this year and go into effect next year to change the law in a few different areas. And what you say may be one of them. Well, that's good to hear that there are provisions in the law where there can be flexibility and adjustments made, because I see this as a moving target. I don't see this as something that you can say, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. I think you really have to take into consideration everything that's happening in the energy environment on an ongoing basis. I think you're right, but I think there's also uh, a seriousness about getting you know uh, more buildings to be more energy efficient and, and clean using cleaner energy i i think you know uh again the devil's in the details and that may change but but i think you know and you never know there's politics and who knows there may be a future mayor who may say you know what we're going to loosen local on 97 you know who knows what will happen but uh you're right uh the law definitely has some flexibility and and like i said there's literally a commission looking into changing local 97 
even before it goes into effect. 84, 87, 97, these are all New York City local laws that were drafted and created and voted on and passed by the city council. So this doesn't affect other buildings outside of the five boroughs of New York City. Just the five boroughs, for sure. Right. Uh, I would say that there's going to be some lobbying going on mm-hmm. <laughs> in the city council. So. Yeah, yep. for sure. For sure. Okay. Here's my third example. This is a 46,000 square foot old fashioned industrial site in Brooklyn. When the law was promulgated in 2019 and I read it and got to understand it, I thought of these people right away. I had done a project for them in 2016 and I had their energy data for 2016. I went back and I looked at it. I plugged it into my spreadsheet, and it came out that their fine would be over $600,000. If they had the same amount of usage in 2016, they would have to pay a $600,000 fine in 2025 for 2024. Unbelievable, right? And this is despite the fact that they had already converted to LED lights, and they were burning natural gas, which was relatively cleaner than oil. But still, they would have to pay a $600,000 fine. There's two aspects of this. The factor for them is five point something. It's actually more limiting than apartment buildings, than multifamily buildings. It's five point something, 5.2 or 5.3. So it's tighter for an industrial facility. And also this particular site happens to be a very efficient site space-wise. They have conveyor belts going this way and that way, and they all lead to each other. And there's very little free space. They use the space well, but in essence, they're being punished by it because for a very little space, they're using a lot of energy to make their product. So when I came to this realization in 2019, I contacted my old contact and I said, are you guys aware of Local Law 97? Have you talked to upper management? Have you talked to your lawyers about this? This is really going to impact you. I can't imagine uh, there's many avenues for you to reduce your energy usage much to get that $600,000 down by very much. And to me, it's it's an existential issue. I can't imagine you paying this every year. You may have to consider moving to Long Island, moving to New Jersey, something like that. And that's something that's going to take many years. And their response was, 2024 is too far away for me to for us to worry about it. The contact person contacted his upper management. They got back to him a week or two later. He said, oh, yeah, 2024 is too far away. We don't care. So... Uh, I happen to think that's a mistake, or maybe, you know, that was their uh, talking in in 2019. Maybe they've now uh, addressing it, and, uh, and hopefully other buildings don't make this mistake. 2024 is not far away. It's coming, and like I said, for these guys, it's going to be a big pen- uh, penalty if they don't uh, do something or move, and hopefully everybody else uh, you know, moves in that direction. The kilogram limit, you said there were 10 categories, right? Yes, right. Yeah. So uh, multifamily is one and um, uh, office buildings, I think they're called commercials. Another, there's another one called assembly, which is like theaters and where people assemble. Uh, industrial is another one. And like I said, the number for that is something like 5.2, 5.4, I, I forget, but it's more stringent than the 6.75 that we just saw for multifamily which itself is, itself is less stringent than the 8.3 or whatever that was, 8.6 for, uh, for office buildings. So there's 10 categories in total. For example, there's multifamily. There's also temporary multifamily, like hotels, homeless shelters, things like that, which is different from traditional multifamily, which is, of course, permanent you know, residence, things like that. So again, 10, 10 in total. Each one has their unique limits, again, kilograms of, of emissions per square foot. Now that I've explained it, 
what local law is, how to calculate it, how to assess yourself, uh, and some examples. What can you do about it? Step one, evaluate your local law 97 compliance based on your current usage now. And when I mean now, I mean in the next week or two, not a month from now, not three months from now, not, oh, yeah, I've got some idle time this summer. Now I'll do it. Literally now, because the time is really, really getting close. And I'm not just saying it. I really mean it. I see these clients that I just talked about who are doing things, and it takes time. It can't. It's not... These upgrades are not done overnight. If you need to do an upgrade, you need to start ASAP. If your assessment shows that you have to pay a fine, that you're not in compliance, and particularly if it's a significant fine, have an energy audit done at Local 87 soon and have it done by a professional. And please, please don't do this on the cheap. A lot of money is riding on this. You want to have made aware of upgrades you can do. It's going to cost you a lot of money in local or 97 fines, as you saw in these couple of examples. Number three, don't take that energy auto report and shred it or put it, you know, in a file cabinet or anything like that. Look at the recommendations, take them seriously. You don't have to do them all, but implement the ones that make sense, that are doable, that will reduce your energy usage. And again, you will not only avoid local law 97 fines, reduce them or avoid them altogether, but you're also going to save on your Con Ed bills or national grid bills or whatever. So you're going to save in two respects, both, again, uh, your costs, your monthly costs of energy and avoided local law 97 fines. So I think this is the most important lesson from this uh, discussion. And then there's more. If you do some of these upgrade projects, the ones I've discussed, steam traps and LED lights and all that, how would you like somebody else to pay some of the costs, right? One of the things that's very unattractive of these upgrades is you have to lay out the money. You've got to buy the LED lights. You have to buy the new steam traps, the labor to replace them, the electricians for the lighting, uh, new cooling towers, installation by HVAC, all that kind of stuff. You've got to lay out some money, but there's an opportunity for someone else to at least pay some of that cost for you. And that is the state of New York and Canada and National Grid. They will all pay you to reduce your energy usage and be more efficient because it's in their interest. Any questions? And Did you have any questions, Margie? Uh, yes, I do. Thank you. What part of the pie is is the electricity in the apartment? Oh. Uh, in apartments, is probably the biggest energy user. I'm assuming in most apartments, the residents do not have control of their heat. So most of that is, is controlled by the landlord, how much heat they get. And there are, of course, New York City regulations on minimum amount of heat that must be given. Other than that, it's really electricity because uh, you put on the TV or other things or whatever, your your plug load and, and, and things like that, your air conditioner, window air conditioner, whatever your air conditioner is, you, you usually uh, control that. Electricity is certainly the biggest uh, user for a, uh, a unit, a given unit. Well, the energy usage for the whole building, what part of that pie, not cost now, but what part of that pie is the electricity in the apartment? Not just comparing the electricity in the apartments to the electricity in the common areas, the electricity in the apartments is part of a whole of energy usage. What part of the whole is that? You know, I don't know a number, and that's a good question, but I would say it is significant because every unit has a refrigerator. And refrigerators use a fair amount of electricity, and, of course, they use them 24-7. So if you've got a 120-unit building with 120 refrigerators, in it operating 24-7, that's going to be very significant. Uh, it might be worth their while to, especially if they have really old uh, refrigerators, to replace them with modern, you know, uh, energy-efficient ones. 
when the report is reviewed, is it translated to a pie chart or is it just people reading it and trying to figure out, you know, what can I do? What what can I do that will have the greatest effect? That's really when you do the energy audit is you, is you develop those pie charts and those uh, assessments of what can be done. So yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not submitted to the city. The city just wants to know what's the total energy usage, what's the total greenhouse gas emissions, and do I meet the limit or not? The city, as far as I know, by the way, has not put out the format of the submittal yet in for 2025. I guess they consider it early, but again, based on the way the law is written, all they really care about is what is your what is the energy usage, uh, how's that translated to greenhouse gases, and how do you compare that? How's it compared to the limit? So the building owner needs to, in their assessment, understand where their energy usage is coming from, gas versus oil versus electricity, tenant versus common area, all that, and see where there are strengths and weaknesses. Well, this has been great. Yeah, excellent, Mark, your report and your presentation. Mark, thank you so much for uh, really clearing up a lot of questions that I had and and also additional questions that I had based on what you were sharing with us. Mm-hmm. And Margie, thank you so much for inviting me to moderate with you. And Bill, thank you for leading such a great session. And, and Margie, thanks for uh, sponsoring this. This is great. You're, great you're welcome. And we'll, we'll see you all next time. All right, great. Take care. You. Thank you all very much. Wait, wait, don't touch that dial. Hello, Bill, is that you? Yes, it is, Mark. How you doing? Good, very well. How are you? Good, good. So we're here to have a uh, discussion about some things that have happened since we originally recorded back on April 12th, all about Local Law 97. On March 24th, which actually was before our recording, the City Council introduced Intro 115, which would compel building owners to increase minimum daytime temperatures and nighttime temperatures. Uh, in the daytime, two degrees from 68 to 70, and in the evening, four degrees from 62 to 66. So it seems odd that they want building owners to comply with energy emissions and that they would then ask them to increase the use of energy, which probably won't have a positive impact. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then also Venable published an article on May 16th, will a new mayoral administrator impact local law 97? And I'd like your thoughts on that. And then a couple of days later, a group of cooperatives and building owners filed a lawsuit against New York City, the New York City Department of Buildings, and the commissioner of the New York City Department of Buildings, saying that local law 97 is an ill-conceived and unconstitutional municipal law. Let's get started. Let me know what your thoughts are on these three items. Well, let's start with the first one and this uh, uh, 0115 uh, rule uh, that's uh, coming up to require apartment buildings to raise the amount of heat they're given to dwelling units. As you mentioned, two degrees during the day, uh, during the heating season, from 68 to 70 degrees, and at night, four degrees, from 62 degree minimum to 66 degrees. And that's definitely going to have an impact on local 197. It just goes without saying to supply that much more heat. You have to burn more natural gas or oil. It's hard to put a number on it to say, well, complying with the law was going to increase natural gas by 5% or 10% or 40% or anything like that. It's all going to depend on the nature of the boiler, of the building, of the insulation, the windows. So we can't give an exact number, but it's definitely going to have uh, an impact. And for a building that might be borderline complying 
with uh, local 197. That might be the thing that puts it uh, over the top and uh, requires it to have a fine. I just want to mention to people that this is the New York City Council. It's a local law, and you can contact your city council member and say you oppose intro 115. How could they possibly come up with something like this when they're trying to reduce greenhouse gases? And so if you just go to who represents me, NYC, uh, you Google that, it'll come up, you put in your address, it'll tell you who your city council person is, and then you click on that person's website, and there'll be contact information to go ahead and reach out to them. The more they hear from their constituents, the more that impacts what local laws get passed and what local laws do not. And also w- watch it and follow it, because at some point, there'll be a hearing and you'll be able to testify. The article, Will a New Mayoral Administration Impact Local Law 97? Let me know what your thoughts are. That's very interesting because, of course, Local Law 97 was promulgated in 2019, and Mayor Bill de Blasio was very adamant about it. He was very much in favor of the law. He liked the way it was laid out. He thought the fines were reasonable. But the fines are are, uh, very onerous, of course, very very great for noncompliance, and they're pretty rigid. It doesn't matter whether you're borderline or not borderline or whether you've tried hard or not tried hard or whether the things that uh, is out of control of the landlord. If you exceed the limit, you have to pay a fine. And there's some people now in the, in the new administration, in the Adams administration, that's questioning that and saying, is there a way that we can be a little bit more flexible uh, about fines, about uh, punishment for not meeting the standard? If there are things that are beyond the landlord's uh, control, can we lessen the fines and maybe even eliminate it? that portion of it altogether. Uh, so that's something to think about. Another factor that people are complaining about is that some of the upgrades that are necessary cost a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars to upgrade systems to comply with Local 197, and people don't have the money. Now, the good news is there is a new program that the city has signed up for called C-PACE. So C is is in cat? P-A-C-E. Okay, C-PACE. Yeah, I've heard of that. You can get very favorable financing, I understand. Correct. Low interest, very long-term options, so it becomes a bit affordable. Uh, it's a program that's actually fairly popular around the country, and New York City just adopted it six months ago, maybe it's eight months ago now, something like that. So that's available, and that could help you know, quite a bit. But uh, the article in, uh, that Venable wrote does talk about some of these uh, issues and some of the issues about can there be more flexibility in Local Law 97, and the Adams administration is looking into ways of doing that. It's not so rigid when it comes to 2024. For example, for low-income housing, maybe have some exemptions, exemptions for owners that are making a genuine effort to comply, or there's issues that are beyond their control uh, that they soften the fines or maybe even exempt them from fines. So we'll see where that goes. The Adams administration is looking into that. By the way, one other thing that the Adams administration is looking at doing is what if a building meets its standard, its carbon emission standard, by a good margin? They should be rewarded for that. In fact, Local 197 has similarities to a number of similar laws in Europe, which actually rewards buildings or companies or what have you that are meet their standard and actually are below, emit less carbon than their standard. They can sell the excess to somebody who needs it. Right now, Local 197 does not allow that, and that limits one's opportunities. You've got to reduce your own greenhouse gas emissions. There is some thought about maybe adding a section to Local 197 
giving that option. If you can find somebody that has over-control or really emits very little greenhouse gases, they can get credits for being under the limit, and then that's an avenue that you could buy those credits to help you comply. Again, this is something that's been that it is in the rule in similar rules worldwide, and it would make sense to be in this rule as well. Yeah, that would be great if they incorporated that into the existing law. And then finally, on May eighteenth, uh, we talked about how a group of cooperatives and building owners filed a lawsuit. And you know, while neither you or I are an attorney, and certainly we can't predict how that will play out, it certainly demonstrates to the city council, to the city of New York, to the Department of Buildings, that people that live in the city of these agencies, they have so much on their plate right now in terms of regulation and compliance. This is just another layer that is going to disincentivize investment in real estate in the city of New York. Correct. This is just you know another thing to worry about, these annual fines. There's going to be a number of buildings that are going to potentially face million-dollar fines, seven-figure fines or high six-figure fines, and that it may be essentially impossible, physically impossible, to upgrade the systems to get it down to you know no fine or a very low fine or something like that. And so it, it's just a matter of sort of shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, wait a minute, what, are, what am I doing here? What am I facing here? Property value in terms of selling it is going to go down and and is this really what the city wants to do, wants to accomplish in Local 197? We've touched on it several times in the two episodes ago on Local Law 87 and Local Law 84. And we touched on it in this episode, but I, I just want to repeat it so that everyone knows this doesn't impact every building. This only impacts buildings which fall into a specific square footage. Is that correct? That's right. So for Local 197, it's for most buildings that are 25,000 square feet or larger. There are a few exceptions, uh, religious institutions, certain uh, low-income housing or subsidized housing is exempt. Not all, but some. Right, and some regulated housing with uh, rent-regulated rent apartments. Uh, but then if you're 50,000 or more, you're in, right? You're definitely you know, you're in, and you're also in for local law 87 as well. All right, so Local Law 87 doesn't apply to the buildings that are under 50,000 square feet. Correct. Well, with this said, we're going to wrap up, uh, but I, I guess I do want to address that even with the possibility that the Adams administration will make some changes that will make Local Law 97 more lenient, that possibly this lawsuit will completely remove local law 97 from the books that you know the city council won't pass intro 115 if they hear from enough of you and by the way even if you own a building that's below uh the uh the threshold for local law 97 this still would impact you you'd still have to Increase mm-hmm. the heat uses, right? So, right, absolutely. So, right. So, so whether, yeah. so, so, yeah. So, so, so to say, well, this doesn't impact me. Yes, it does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But, but I guess with all of this, what would be your recommendation? Should people still try and comply with uh, Local Law 87 and Local Law 97, even though there's a possibility that it will change? Local Law 87 is on the book. Uh, I don't see anything to remove it. So, Local Law 87 is there. 
So you need to comply with that for sure. And local law 97, until a judge removes it, you need to address it. And this is the kind of thing that you cannot wait until a few months before it goes into effect. Uh, September of 2023, it goes into effect in January 2024. You can't say in September 2023, okay, now I'm going to evaluate where I stand and make some changes. By then, it's way too late uh, for for most cases for the degree of changes. You need to evaluate now, literally begin today, this week, to do it. And I know everybody's busy. I know people have obligations and everything. But this is the kind of law that uh, is not something that you just fill out a couple of forms or write out a check and everything is fine. You have to look into your energy systems, your boilers, air conditioners, uh, motors, things like that. And you have to assess whether they're operating properly and then just whether, based on your bills, your electricity usage, your natural gas usage, et cetera, whether you comply with the law or not. Those are the changes you have to make, especially with the issues we're seeing these days with supply chain, is going to, will likely take a long time. And so you need to see where you stand right now. Uh, Bill, you and I are there to help building owners. If they have questions about Local Law 97, we can help building owners determine where they stand on Local Law 97. Do they comply right now? Uh, What might the fine be? Uh, We can do that for them, but it's something you need to do right now. Well, I'll put your contact information in the show notes. I'll also put links to the lawsuit. I'll put links to the article in Venable. And I'll put a link to the city council intro 115 so people can research that. Mark, thank you so much for taking this extra time with me to inform the Realty Speak listeners and append the original episode that was recorded on April 12th. Uh, just, just in case you're wondering, everybody, it is Monday, May 23rd. Thank you, Bill. Like I said, best of luck, everybody. Stay ahead of the law and, and being compliant. All right. Great. Thanks, Mark. Well, there you have it. Everyone, thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. Please subscribe. You can do so on the website. Just go to the podcast page on the website, and there's an opt-in toward the top of the page on the right. Or easily subscribe and listen to Realty Speak on your favorite podcast app, like Podcast Republic, my fave on Android devices, or Apple Podcasts for an iPhone. Go to the app, search Realty Speak, find it, open it, Hit subscribe and you're in. Spotify? Yep. Realty Speak is there as well. And please help Realty Speak grow by sharing the show with others. From the website player, just click share and choose your preferred social media platform and spread the word. Or to share from your podcast app, hit the share icon, choose your preferred method, and send. And of course, if you'd like to talk about purchasing, selling, or financing investment real estate, access past episodes, or just chat, you can contact me directly via the website at BillWidener.com. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And remember, it's not about us, but how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time, 